Welcome back once again. It is part two of our discussion with Brian Edward Hill. Uh, if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you check it out. It's episode 165 called Brian Edward Hill Returns. And of course, I had to stick with the uh, Frank Miller and Batman vibes here. So I called this one Brian Edward Hill Strikes Again because, you know, things. Uh, this is a great discussion. I loved getting into the weeds with Brian here. And I don't want to make you wait any longer. So without further ado, this is the Savage Land. detective what was after you get that job right i mean i I guess the the first question would then be you know what are the sort of the marching orders that you have i mean it seems like the creation of the outsiders and the inclusion of black lightning obviously would kind of be the the two big mandates there but what what did they tell you when you started and then what was your sort of research process off from that well they didn't they didn't tell me very much they did mention black lightning Mm. um initially they weren't really talking about the outsiders, but you know, I've read comic books. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I, you, you know, what's I up. know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I know what happens when black lightning and Batman are in the same book five times in a row. Um, but I wasn't thinking I'd be the one to do it. I was like, all right, you know, maybe, you know, I can, you know, carry the ball a little bit. And I honestly thought that, that the bat office um, and Chris Conroy, I guess, who is, you know, kind of, part of that battle office. He edits Wonder Woman, I think, as well. Mm. Um, I thought they were just doing a solid, like, getting me on a main character, letting me feel what that experience was like, so I could kind of test the waters of of how I'd relate to that stuff. I, I didn't think there'd be more coming on afterwards, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, they mentioned it a little bit. Um, uh, and besides that, there were no, really no real instructions. And well, yeah, do whatever you want to do. The villain karma in that arc, I didn't create a villain out of some ego-driven mm. uh, thing. I did not know who I could use. Mm. So, you know, like, this character was off the thing, and this character's off the thing, you can't use Joker because of this, and you can Riddler, you know, and uh, Tom had done incredible work with Kite Man, <laughs> but I'm like, well, I got Black Lightning I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Detective, so I have Cassandra Kane, Duke, I also have to deal with. Yeah, you got a whole team. Uh, I have got Bruce in this book. You know, I I don't think I have enough space to redefine a library character, mm-hmm. you know, like Clock King or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I get, I could I could do a cool Clock King story, but that would be better suited for a Batman, you know, arc where I didn't have to evolve a lot of things at the same time. Yeah. But Black Lightning. Um, you know, post rebirth, there hasn't been that much of him. No. Tony Isabella had a miniseries, uh, Cold Dead Hands, that he had written, mm. um, that I believe is outside of DCU continuity. Mm. And there's a television show, but that character, uh, Jefferson Pierce on the show, is a veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's like returning to form, you know, in in that show. Yeah. Uh, but post rebirth, there wasn't a lot of like Black Lightning, young Black Lightning on the way to his prime, you know, type work. So. I uh, felt like, well, I need to, I need the space to really deal with him, and a villain changing villains define mythological narratives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if you have Black Lightning and Batman in the story, the villain shouldn't be Mister Zaz. Yeah, because you don't need to shoot Mister Zaz with electricity. I mean, he deserves it, but like, that's <laughs> not, you know, that's that's it's not, not really a villain. 
Yeah, and, and 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 yeah, I guess and you could Tom King that. You know, you could do a story where uh, Mr. Zaz kills someone in Metropolis. Black Lightning cares about that person, comes to Gotham and is like, you know how to stop this guy. Help me stop this guy. And Batman's like, I'm taking you into a world you might not be prepared <laughs> for, Jefferson. You know, like you could do that uh-huh. and do like the David Fincher, like Crockett and Tubbs version of that story. <laughs> um, but I just I, I thought that would be too far from the tone that that James uh, had been doing in Detective because Detective under James's watchful eye had become a book of larger events, um, uh, bigger events. Mm. Uh, so I had to kind of match that. Give me one second. I have to let my cat out this office. <laughs> you are fine. No worries. I didn't know she was asleep in here. So, <laughs> uh, she's like, are you podcasting again? Gosh. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I needed a villain that was more kinetic. Uh-huh. That was more physical. That uh, I, I thought could uh, set a better stage for Jefferson's power set. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tr- the tricky part about Batman and Jefferson Pierce in a story is Batman's like a ninja detective. Yeah, you know he's not really a guy that that he that you you know you don't see him coming from the front mm-hmm. a lot. And Jefferson is you know like a a, a demigod <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways right like the guy the guy has elemental powers yeah. uh, so it was very tricky putting them in the same narrative and not having the narrative either be so batman that jefferson didn't do anything but warm a cup of tea mm-hmm. or so black lightning that Batman just seemed like a rich guy in cosplay next to a guy that can shoot, you know, lightning bolts out of his hands. So that was the most challenging part of that narrative mm. was m- making all of that work. Uh, and then including Cassandra and Duke and, and all of that. So it just seemed like, you know what, I need a villain mm-hmm. who is psychological so that that villain challenges Batman in very specific ways, but who's also very kind of kinetic and physical. You know, a, a guy who's in the physical confrontation mm. so I can make sure that the team can get involved um, in a way that I thought would be satisfying for the reader. Uh, so that's where karma came from, really. It was a necessity in terms of the narrative. I had to put someone in that villain position that I thought could um, hold up over over five issues. Yeah. Is there – I wonder, it, like with working obviously with, with Black Lightning, you know, and, and really for the first time in continuity in quite a while – uh, was there any sort of like pressure or requests or anything like that to sort of like keep him, you know, in, in some form of like alignment with the show in terms of characterization? Obviously they're at very different points of their career. Um, but was there, was there any kind of pressure no, for that or was not, it pretty open? Not really. I mean, you know, so when uh, Titans is a Greg Berlanti produced show mm-hmm. and it's in the, it, the writing room is in the compound with all the other Greg Berlanti produced <laughs> shows. So almost all I, of them, except I know, mine for some reason. Yeah, almost all. Yeah, <laughs> all, almost all. Of them. Uh, so I know, you know, writers from Flash, Arrow, Legends and Black Lightning, because we'd all be in like the cafeteria getting lunch around the same time or we'd catch each other, you know, in the lobby, mm-hmm. you know, on the way out the door. And I would have conversations uh, with everyone about what's going on in their worlds. And I would watch the show mm-hmm. uh, just to be you know, kind of aware of what they were doing. But there wasn't much cross-pollination. Uh, and it's it's really because you can't keep up with each other, right? Yeah. Like 
the the show is going to be on its own schedule with its own needs uh and the the books are going to be you know kind of on their own schedule i philosophically you want the character to feel like these two uh incarnations could exist in the same continuum right Mm -hmm. like you want some kind of like oh i could see how this guy turns into that guy or i could see how that guy used to be this guy Yeah, yeah but beyond that no not not really you know um I I look at Black Lightning as a guy who's trying to figure out who, who he is. Mm-hmm. Like, w- what's he going to be, right? Because he's at a crossroads. He could either be the local hero, like a daredevil. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to draw a red circle around this part of the city, and I'm going to protect this part of the city, which is a fine, fine, you know, application of a skill set. Mm-hmm. But he has the power to be something closer to Green Lantern, Diana, or Clark, yeah. in a way. Right to be like a justice leaguer, uh, as it as it were, mm-hmm. and I that's what I held on to. I'm like, okay, that's interesting because if I'm Bruce Wayne, I want to influence that choice, mm-hmm. you know, because I I met Clark when Clark was done, yeah. I met Diana when Diana was done. Same thing with Hal, but what could I have done if I could have met them earlier, <laughs> right? Like. You know, so part part of that is like, ooh, this this I see potential in this guy. And Bruce is a man who thinks in terms of opera. Mm-hmm. You know, he thinks in terms of ultimate. So uh, I, I think he looks at Jefferson Pierce and is like, all right, well, I see I see a carved statue of you in the Justice League, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what I see for for you. And I'm not sure Jefferson sees himself in that way. Um, you know, I I. I I, I see Jefferson sort of looking at, you know, your Wonder Woman's and your Superman's and even your Batman. Like, well, those are those are the, the Homeric versions mm-hmm. of superheroes. Right. These are the people that fight dark side and and, you know, they have uh, trophies of parademons on their wall. <laughs> I'm I'm worried about this gun runner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> over here. Right. I'm I'm trying to deal with the opioid problem i've i've got <laughs> got cooking there's a kid who's missing that i have to find you know mm. and i think that's where his mindset is but it's it's probably hard to be around bruce wayne and not get infected by his ambition in some way yeah uh so those are the things that i held on to uh kind of with that that character pairing um uh, and you know, I would watch the show and just make sure I wasn't doing something that I thought fans of the show would, you know, throw a, a, a piece of fruit at me for. But <laughs> for the most part, I had to think about it, you know, kind of as its own thing, and and how, um, you know, how I'd play that world out. That makes sense. Uh, in in transitioning over to the outsiders, obviously, you know, sort of leading in from your run in detective, um, was the was the lineup of the outsiders something that was just kind of set for you or was that something you were able to kind of like play around with and figure out? Um, how, how did the, the lineup of the team sort of come to be? Well, it was, you know, it, one conversation I think kind of did it. I mean, obviously we have Bruce Wayne and Jefferson Pierce. Of course. Um, I wanted Cassandra Cain mm. um, because I've been a huge fan of Cassandra Cain for years. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always thought that she had tremendous levels of potential. Ever since the old uh, Puckett uh, Scott Silent Running, you know, oh, books yeah, yeah. Uh, way back in the day, right? Yeah. So I wanted her in, and then they mentioned Katana, and I was like, oh, cool, um, that's that's really interesting. And then the Signal, you know, was also part of the Bat World, mm-hmm. and, and there are other characters that we've talked about, like Halo, Metamorpho, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, Geo Force, people, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I and I I want readers to know that my intention, if people read the book, is to uh, interface with all of that stuff at some point, mm-hmm. but I want to do it in a very organic way. Um, I I told DC that I didn't want the science fiction elements to run away with the characterization. Mm. And I also didn't want this to be just another team book with Batman in it. Mm-hmm. So Batman and the Outsiders is, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the punk rock version of a team book. You know, because the Justice League is like a, is a well-oiled machine going up against a villainous well-oiled machine. Uh-huh. And uh, Justice League Dark, everyone's kind of getting used to each other, but they're all sort of veterans at the game. And they're sort of figuring out their their ins and outs, right? Mm-hmm. Um the same thing with like, you know, Odyssey and, and, and you know, kind of all that stuff. Of course. Well, Outsiders is like a Tony Scott movie, man. It's these people do not trust each other. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like, you know, Jefferson's still getting used to these extreme personalities that Bruce Wayne has cultivated. Uh-huh. Uh, he does not think like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> um you know, there's a there's there's a line uh, uh, that I, I just wrote tonight in number one. It doesn't really spoil anything where Jefferson's talking to Bruce and he says, uh, just because you say it in a baritone doesn't make it possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, that's pretty good. That's good. He's he's constantly like you realize you're probably insane, right? Because <laughs> he's looking at Bruce Wayne like, well, of course you think that way because you're a billionaire and you're like a ninja sorcerer or whatever you are. Like, that's not how this works for most people. Yeah, You've never had to pay a bill, you know? <laughs> like, you don't, you know. So, so he's struggling with this with with this stuff. And they're, these people are volatile. They're volatile personalities who've been walking a path of extremity for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they have to to build that trust with each other. But they don't get a lot of time to do so because there are crises they have to solve. Um, so there's there's a lot of, of that stuff playing itself out uh, in the book. And I wanted to make sure that we had time to richly evolve the characters before we just keep stacking more characters into the mix more and more and more and more and more you know i mean we're gonna we're gonna go different places interesting places we're gonna see some new characters people have never really heard of before Mm -hmm. too um so there's you know there's things along the way uh but if people are waiting for their favorites just be patient um i i will get to them like for a lot of people were uh uh asking me well you know are you gonna do more with duke because duke didn't get a lot of court time in detective Mm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. I am. And the events in Detective are still going to play themselves out in Outsiders. There's a continuity of experience there, right? Um, so, you know, some of the things I set up there that you might not have even known were setups mm-hmm. will get paid off in Outsiders in, in, in different ways. You know, I guess that's part of my television mind as well. Like, yeah, 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 we, you know, we, we have everything happening, but you can't do, you know, Red Wedding in season one because no one will care, right? You have to wait and 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 gestate things and build things up and and make sure people are familiar with characters before you just start stacking a bunch of characters into a thing because then you wind up with one of those comic books where like everyone is joking while they're fighting mm. and then you have the splash page and you know i don't want to do any of that man that's not worth a sandwich of so uh uh, if I'm going to charge you sandwich money for a book, um, <laughs> it's not sandwich money in L.A. But yeah, that's true. Sandwich money in L.A. is, is like 15 money. bucks. 
it's like a trade paperback, bro. It's it, like... really, it really is, man. I every yeah, day it's yeah, like you a get that hardcover, man. Yeah, there's like a those... hardcover Arkham Asylum or a sandwich. <laughs> there's there's those days, man, where you like go out to lunch and you're like, I'm like trying to like save money and be smart today, but like everything is at least fifteen dollars, no matter what. It's crazy. Yeah, like I think about the experience a lot. So you know, I want the characters to to really feel real. I want the book to. You know, I mean, we've got everything in here, man. We've got some action. Mm-hmm. We've got some horror. It's a little sexy uh, <laughs> as far as like, you know, mainline DCU books can be. Of course. Um, you know, we've got some ideas in there. And uh, uh, I think it's it's going to be a, hopefully an unexpected experience. You know, my mm-hmm. my elevator tagline is it's, uh, it's a team book with the safety off. OK, there you go. Hell yeah. That's a good tagline. I like that. It's definitely, I mean, seeing seeing that announcement, obviously, like, it was one of the, I, I don't even think it was a worst-kept secret situation, because, ev- like, everything in that, in the Detective Comics series was hinting toward it uh, for a long time. But it oh, was it's the worst-kept secret in comics. <laughs> yeah, like, it's one of those things where we're reading this wrong. I mean, like, it's, it's called, like, on the outside. Exactly. <laughs> Every single issue had, like, an outside thing to it, and I'm like, okay, I, I see what you're doing here, we'll wait for the announcement, but I see what you're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. now that it's finally now it's finally announced, I'm like, yes, like let's. I, I'm so excited to to finally read it because it's been so long since there's been an outsiders book, let alone anything involving you know Black Lightning and obviously like with Duke, you know, I I the the Batman and the Signal series was pretty short lived and I thought it was really fun and so you know it's good to like get more of that character. Obviously, Katana getting her more involved in the DCU, Cassandra as well. Um, I think it's such yeah. A I mean, you know, there have been like incarnations of the outsiders, right and uh, I guess because of the way my mind works, because I'm a Michael Mann guy, a Tony Scott guy, a Chris McQuarrie guy, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna get that kind of thing. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna sort of have that that feeling, I guess, uh, uh, of like the action thriller, the character driven action thriller kind of deal. You know, and a character like Katana, for instance, I've been studying Shinto for the past week <laughs> to un- understand where she comes from. You know, as a character, and really respect the the history. Uh, and the culture there. I haven't studied a lot of Japanese martial arts. I was a Taekwondo kid, and then I did uh, a little bit of uh, Kung Fu. And I, I learned a little bit of Judo here and there. Um, and, I, and I read the Hagakuri in a Book of Five Rings um, uh, and all that stuff. Uh, but I'm not super fluent in, like, Japanese religion. And, you know, and she has such a very spiritual side to her mm-hmm. with her relationship with the soul sword, her husband being inside the sword and all of that. And I, I wanted to give that the tradition and the respect that, uh, uh, you know, she deserves and, and readers deserve. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm trying to make this a, uh, a bit of a special experience, um, for people and not just like, Oh, they put Batman in something again. That's nice. <laughs> um, you know, this is a different kind of Batman too. I mean, I, I, I talked to Tom King, um, about like how, you know, I see this a little bit like, uh, Redford and Pitt and spy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Batman is the handler okay. uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Jefferson Pierce is the agent on the field and you never quite know where Batman's coming from. Yeah. You know, is he sending the outsiders to do something because he wants that done? Or are they just creating diversion? So he does something else. That is interesting. And that how would you feel Batman if you, <laughs> Right. If you risked your life to do something and then you find out that it was just theater, mm-hmm. you might be kind of mad about that. You know, so so I mean, I just made that up. I'm not sure if that's going to take place or not. But like that is the, the, that's the kind of relationship they have, you know, and, and one of the, I think, surprising things for readers 
will be watching the evolving friendship between Bruce Wayne and Jefferson Pierce. Mm. Uh, and I, I joke about this as my Miami Vice. All right, hell yeah. <laughs> right? You know, like this is this is what that is, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see some things, man. Um, I'm you know, obviously it's a it's a mainline DCU book, so it has to have experiential things in common with the other offerings for sure. Mm-hmm. But I fully intend for this to to feel like a Brian Hill experience. And, um, you know, I just finished a draft of the, the first issue. Uh, I, I think it's one of the most me things I've written to date. Interesting. So that's a, that's a good little tease for those trying to, to crack the, uh, crack the shell of Brian Hill and figure out what's ticking inside there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the Hill administration, man, we, we, you know, we give it just a little bit and then, then we take it all away. <laughs> And spe- speaking of giving a little bit from the, the Hill administration, anyone who hasn't already, yeah. uh, go over to YouTube and, and search the Hill administration. Subscribe to Brian's channel. There's there's some pretty great content on there. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm doing a video about uh, story structure later on tonight. Um, oh, but, yeah, you, you know, like, that. my YouTube is a response to the acrimony that I'm seeing online mm. a lot. And... Instead of giving oxygen to all of that, which I fully intend not to do, mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, well, let me let me just try to light a candle to curse the darkness mm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of questions about writing and technique. And again, because I don't really self-identify as like a writer, um, I don't feel like I have to, you know, keep people out of the laboratory. Of course. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm trying to create the kind of content that would have helped me when I needed answers to some questions. So, yeah, so my YouTube, the Hill administration, is literally just a writing YouTube. 99% of the videos are going to be about specific uh, writing techniques. Mm. Um, I'm starting with very beginner-level stuff now. Uh, but as it goes on, um, you know, I'll get more into the weeds of it. If people, you know, keep watching it and it's useful to people, eventually – uh, as I have the time, I'd like to kind of design my own online course mm. that's free. Hell yeah. YouTube. With like lessons and, and links to downloadable homework. I used to teach a little bit. Um, okay. cause I think it's kind of criminal that, you know, masterclass is good, but it's like 99 bucks. And 99 bucks is a lot of money for a lot of people. It's absolutely, man. Absolutely. Right? Like, it's a lot of money, you yeah, know? I, I've, and, I've gotten one master course or masterclass thing, and it was like like right after I moved to L.A., uh, and you know, so like I was getting like small freelance jobs here and there and I was like, crap, I really want that Aaron Sorkin masterclass. So I was like, all right, if I eat ramen for this many days in a row, then, you know, like the budget will finally even out type thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's bad. Well, DM me, DM me. Maybe we can work something out. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, yeah. So I'm like, all right, like I said, I watched the Aaron Sorkin. I watched the David Mamet, you know, I, I watched the, the, the James Patterson uh-huh. and I'm none of those guys, obviously, but I was like, well, you know, I could I think I could make something that's free mm-hmm. that doesn't cover as much ground as these guys can cover. And I'm not nearly as accomplished. I mean, I am a gnat you know, in the afterbirth compared to these guys careers. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it can be free, yeah. you know, and, and you can just go to YouTube and you can just watch it. And with technology and the way you can set things up. I can have, you know, documents, a link to documents that you can download if you wanted to get, you know, uh, the the homework questions or the exercises and and ideally maybe even like a little community, you know, yeah. to get kind of started where people are sharing the writing with each other and I'm I, I'm all about breaking down the the negative parts about the about the mysticism 
yeah. around being a creator. I mean, there there is magic at hand for certain, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of velvet roping and, you know, a, a, a lot of kind of uh, willful obfuscation of the simplicity of the task, right? And I think that buttresses the self-esteem of creators who are like, I cannot teach you how to get to here because you are there. Um, and I, 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 that's fine. That's all cool. Mm. But that's not how I, how I live. You know, I'm, I'm really into um, sharing uh, experience, I think, and be helpful um, because it's all about getting, it's all about getting the, the, the challenges out of the way so you can get to your expression. And, I, and, and you can never teach somebody, you know, what they want to express. That's going to be natural to them. Yeah. But you can help someone understand the mechanics of how to tell a story mm-hmm. so they can, you know, clear a path to express themselves organically and then do something unique. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the goal with it. I do new videos uh, every Monday. It'll be a Tuesday this time because of the holiday. Mm. Um and I just started, you know, I mean, it's small. We just have like 500 subscribers or something. And, you know, there's a few hundred views per video. Like it's it's not like, you know, setting the world on fire. But, yeah, I'll, I'll keep doing it if people keep watching it and getting a benefit out of it. Sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great channel, really. Like for anyone who's who's an aspiring writer or even just curious about storytelling, I think it's awesome. And I mean, it is that that rising tide sort of mentality, you know, of of sharing the knowledge and letting it sort of lift everybody. Uh, I think is an effective one, especially because, you know, I think about all the time, like how many greatest filmmakers of all time or greatest storytellers of all time there are out there in the world that never really got a chance to tell their story or never got the the confidence to tell their story. Um, and it's well, it's I was, you know, growing up, I was I was lucky in high school. I was a scholarship kid. So I got to go to a pretty good private high school in Missouri. Mm. And that gave me a good education. And the best part about that education was it wasn't the information I was given but I was taught how to teach myself, mm. which is a super important thing. Mm-hmm. And and not to get all Neil deGrasse Tyson on your podcast. <laughs> Love it. But you, you want to develop an intellectual curiosity. <laughs> right? So but, but he's but he's right. You know, yeah. like you, you want people to feel empowered about learning. And um, college NYU was very expensive. And mm. I got something of a scholarship, but it was still crazy expensive. Uh, and I had to struggle to get through it to finish in four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost had to take a break between junior and senior year because I simply couldn't pay for senior year of school. But I, I lived in like one of the worst neighborhoods in Manhattan uh, so I could save money on the dorm. And then I was walking to NYU from Harlem. That's a whole other story. Oh. Point of it is it was arduous. Yeah. Right? I was on my own Odyssean style quest. <laughs> and I always said to myself, if you make it through this, Brian, you need to create pathways so other people can get this information without having to go through all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the things I'm I'm very focused on because uh, I honestly don't know how long I'm going to be writing stories. You know, I mean, I could see myself turning into T- Terrence Malick in eight months and, you know, I'm just shooting the sunrise with Christian Bale <laughs> walking through it, touching wheat or something. <laughs> You know, that is pretty much what he's doing poetry. these days. <laughs> yeah, just poetry in the background. That sun comes up and it goes down. What's it mean? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, like I can totally see myself being that guy. <laughs> so, you know, while I'm in uh, the mindset and I have a little platform, um, I, uh, you know, I just want to kind of make it easier for the uh, the the Brian Hill year ones out there, you know, who are 
uh, just try and be like, I want to tell a story, but I can't afford film school. I live in Kansas and, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't do any of that stuff. And, you know, if you've got access to the Internet, uh, then, you know, at least you have someone out there yeah, who can uh, be, be a bit of a resource. And, you know, we can kind of all get there together. You know, I learned by 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 teaching, too. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 as helpful for me as it is for anybody else. And people people like you are, are very uh, effective in terms of, you know, helping people feel inspired and, and, uh, you know, empowered. I think like for me, you know, I, I moved out here from, from Utah and one of the biggest reasons I came out here felt like I could was just because I had listened to so many, you know, podcasts and interviews with, uh, with creators and showrunners and comic book writers and people like that, that I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, I I think I can do this. You know, you start writing a bit and then, uh, you know, just decide, fuck it. Like I'm going to go and pursue it. But it is, I mean, it is. Well, that's the difference. Like that's, that's the critical thing. Um, and I want to kind of just drill down this point you just yeah. made. The the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is successful people believe that their effort will be rewarded, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's an important mindset. You know, filmmakers will – young filmmakers uh, who are even more prolific than me because <laughs> they're actually filmmakers and not just me, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, they'll ask me questions, whatever. And like, I want to make this movie but I don't have what I need and, and all this. I'm like, okay. If I were to take what you have right now, just what you have right now, and I gave it to David Fincher, are you going to tell me David Fincher couldn't make anything cool? And he can't call Brad Pitt. He can't read. No, no, no. He just has what you have right now, whatever you got, money in your pocket, camera you have, friends you got. Mm -hmm. That's it. And he's even starting at a deficit because he doesn't even know your friends. (laughs) So, you know, are you going to tell me that you don't think Fincher could make something, right? Like he could make something really cool Mm -hmm. right now with what you have. The, the the biggest difference is Fincher knows he's going to make something cool mm-hmm. and we'll figure it out and we doubt ourselves and we question ourselves. So the most important thing you can do for anyone is to give them the feeling that the hard work is going to pay off. It's that delayed gratification, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, growing up, you know, I grew up pretty poor, but I knew families that had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I had extended family and they were very pessimistic because, you know, life had been difficult for them. And because it had been difficult, they defined life as difficulty, right? Yeah. And they had a lot of evidence that was the case. I'm not saying that they were deluded, you know, a lot of evidence for that. But then I would hang out with my friends who came from these very rich families, and I would just see how empowering that environment can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, occasionally, you know, you bump into somebody that's like worshiping an effigy of Moloch, but like, <laughs> but for the most part, it's, you know, it's pretty empowering. I'm like, oh, that's the difference. Yeah. And I was very lucky to have people that came into my life um, across the political, uh, political spectrum, like Republicans, you know, Democrats, whatever, mm-hmm. who came in and were like, okay, this will result in this. If you do this, you're going to get this. If you, you know, you just have to apply yourself. And that belief that the hard work was going to turn into something allowed me to go through a lot of hell Mm -hmm. uh, to get to where I am right now. And so if I could do one thing for the world, it's to be a symbol uh, of, you know, the possibility of things because I am not special. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I guess I'm, I'm a little bright, but I'm not Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, and and I didn't come from money. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I didn't have any legacy. You know, no family legacy in entertainment. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, right? You know, I grew up in Tatooine. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You know, and my last name is in Skywalker. (laughs) Um, I was just a dude, right? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the, I'm like Sebulba. I'm just some dude. Yep. Uh, 
so you know i i want people to realize you know that there is no special trick there's no two magic sticks you rub together and then you get some mystical flame that can light your way you just have to have an unfettering belief in who and what you are and 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 what you want to achieve and push yourself with everything that you create and eventually you will you will get there uh so before i go into my you know my uh my exile my creative <laughs> exile and make my terrence malick movies uh I, I want to try to leave something behind, um, you know, for people if I can. And that's and that it really is the magic of, of things like YouTube and podcasts and just the Internet in general is that, you know, for, for people, I mean, that that's the function that it served for me. Like if you don't have someone that's there, you know, with you sort of just giving that encouragement and a, a little bit of confidence to think that you can do it. I think that's that the 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 thing that it supplements, you know, it fills in for that where like you can actually listen to someone who's made it, who's gone through the ringer and come out the other side. You know, and, and hear them talk about how possible it really is and, and make that encourage you rather than anybody directly in front of you, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's I, – I worked in marketing for a little bit out of film mm. school because I had a, a degree that was equal parts expensive and useless. <laughs> so I had to figure out uh, how I was – I was tired of being broke. I had to get a job. Of course. And I was able to do like some, you know – kind of almost near freelancy style work in marketing because I was young and I could just go out there and do crazy stuff and talk to people about it, take some photographs. Of course. Uh, culture haunting is kind of what they would call it. Mm. But what I realized over the course of working those different um, gigs is people don't buy products. They buy self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And self-esteem is, is the crisis, I think. And a lot of the negativity that you see, a lot of the acrimony, it, it's based in um, a vacuum where self-esteem should be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people that are seeing a world that they don't feel like they can participate in. Then they judge the world as unfair, and then they just want to burn it down, mm-hmm. right? Um, and prove, uh, you know, going back to you know, Dark Knight, bringing it all full circle here. There you go. They they want to prove to people how uh, terrible people really are. Right. I mean, that's the job of, of the troll, you know, is to do that is no, you're just like me. Yep. You're not good. You're bad. And I need to burn half your face. So <laughs> you understand how bad you are. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I guess, you know, I'm, I stand against that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the guy that's like, Gotham will never be you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. You like that's, that that's just, just as dark as you are on the inside. But these people will never be like you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right and so and, and i get a lot of flack online for uh uh being polite you know and and kind to people that have not been kind and polite to other people and um you know I, I i get that i get the desire to see someone that you you like strike back against people that you don't like but mm-hmm. i just don't think that does very much good man um so I, mean, I i try to lead people towards a better behavior by example, if I can. And I, and I, again, I leave myself at the same time. I'm in the same bucket and I'm not better than anybody. I'm just trying to get there too. Yeah. I mean, for, for those, for those Christians out there, you know, that's, that's the, the definition of Christ-like behavior, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not very religious anymore, but I was raised Christian. That's, I mean, that's the, the pitch perfect example of, of, you know, what they're, they're aspiring to be or what those beliefs espouse is to, you know, lead people by example and not, you know, stoop to somebody's level in response. Yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly religious either, um, but philosophically, yeah, I certainly you know look at concepts like that, and you know, look at Christianity and Buddhism and 
Taoism and, you know, these, these things that have managed to keep people sane for a very long time, uh, and, and see what can be used, you know, from that stuff. And yeah, you know, it's just, uh, I'm very grateful to be in a place where some people listen to me. I'm not Barack Obama or anything, <laughs> you know, but. Um, you know, look, man, it, you'd be surprised if you, you know, 50 people, if 50 people are listening to you and like really listening to you mm-hmm. and each of those people talks to one person, you know, you, very suddenly you're at an exponential rate of influence. Even if you don't get the influence attributed directly to you, that doesn't matter. It's not about like buttressing the ego. Yeah. It's just, you know, it, it, the chain of behavior, right? The chain of experience that you're giving people is important. So, um, uh, while I'm here and uh, I'm getting a little bit of attention, I'm trying as as much as I can to try to lead us to our better angels, as it were. Of course, man. Um, how, how are you on time? I wanna I wanna cover kind of like some top cow stuff, uh, Titans, and then obviously American Carnage. But I, I don't want to eat up too much. Yeah, I got, time. I got a little time. A little time, sweet. Uh, well, so obviously, you know, Top Cow being kind of the the company or the sort of you know publisher environment that you kind of you know came out in in comics uh, with, you know, I guess sort of. Uh, your your biggest stage in comics to to begin with, um, you know hmm. you've you've consistently done work with Top Cow, really since the first issue of Postal, um, yeah, and and I know that for a time, and I'm not sure if this is still the case that you were like the the story editor, uh, for Top Cow. Is that still the case? No, I mean that's like that episode of of Star Trek when like Picard gets sick, and then like Riker's <laughs> sitting in the chair for like a week. Like it, that's all it was. Got like it, it, it w- it's really because Matt wanted to give me credit mm. for some stuff I was already doing, and I've never considered myself to be an editor, you know. But Top Cow is a smaller company, yeah. and um, it's it's like a boutique in a way. Yeah. So it's like Matt, uh, Henry, you know, we all... Elena, and like that's that's you know most of the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's like Focus Films back in like 1999 or something, right? So, mm-hmm. um uh it, we we'd all like get together and talk story and discuss work and 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 all of that. And I think Matt just saw that I was doing some of the things that an editor would be doing mm-hmm. and you know, kind of put a press release behind it. But I'm I'm not I'm not an editor. Um I uh I I I share perspective, you know, <laughs> on occasion and that's all that's all I, I can I really feel confident doing editors do a lot more uh, than I think I'd be willing to do on projects for sure. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, you know, I've known Top Cow for a long time. Top Cow, they gave me my first job. Yeah. Uh, I after I got done working or not working for Baltimore, <laughs> uh, those pages wound up getting to Matt. Matt looked at them, uh, and I think Rob Levin actually introduced those pages to Matt. Oh. First, it was an artwork thing because Nelson Blake the second had done the pages for Voldemort. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, they saw the art and liked the art a lot. And then they looked at the story and were like, well, this is kind of interesting. Who, who wrote this? <laughs> you know, this looks like all right. Yeah. And they talked to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, you're a writer. And, and and I had some, you know, ideas about some things I wanted to do. And, and they gave me uh, – Ron Mars came in, taught me a bit about comic book format. Uh, I called him Obi-Ron for, <laughs> for, for a reason. So Obi-Ron Kenobi. Uh uh, talked nice. talked to me about some stuff, and then gave me a short story in one of his trades, and that was the very first thing that I had ever written in comics. And then from that, um, I believe I got the Seven Days from Hell thing that I co-wrote with Rob. 
Um, and then Rob and I worked on a uh, mini series of Top Cow. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and I'd just known Matt throughout that process and he'd always been cool. I'm a very loyal guy. I'm a Taurus. Mm. So I, I, t- I tend to keep my friendships, mm. you know, I, I, I fight for them, you know, as much as I can. So, so yeah. And it's always been a pleasant place for me to work. Um, so I, you know, just like being there. I like the people there, you know, I like Matt very much and it's just a cool place to be. Of course. Uh, well, so let's talk about, um, both Cyberforce and Aphrodite are kind of the two books that you're, that you're, uh, writing, co-writing at, at uh, Top Cow right now. Oh um, yeah, yeah. How, sure. how did those how did those two come about? And I mean, are those both projects that you're kind of like done done writing at this point or are they still kind of ongoing for you? Well, Cyberforce is ongoing um, because that was a shorter process between script and finish. Mm. Uh, Aphrodite 5, I've done all the writing on because uh, I, I finished those scripts like a year ago. The first thing I ever pitched to Top Cow was a, a, a Aphrodite miniseries. Oh, and it's not the current story that's in Aphrodite Five, but mm-hmm. it was a different thing because you know it was like Ghost in the Shell, James Cameron kind of deal. Of and I just you know I dig that. I've, I've just always been into you know that kind of experience. Motoko Kusanagi is one of my favorite characters in fiction, mm-hmm. so I uh, uh, kind of came at it from that point of view. And then from knowing Mark and knowing Matt, I think for a long time Matt didn't know if I had an interest in doing kinetic comic book work because I was writing people arguing under trees for two years. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. I gotcha. Um, you know, like, and so I think he was a little so. Oh, like you like that? Okay, you like that stuff too. I think a lot of it came from Romulus because when he asked me, like, oh, yeah. hey, you know, you know, you got let's an original thing, and I, I pitched him, you know, Buffy the Illuminati Slayer. Uh, <laughs> I think he realized, oh, this Romulus. Oh, Brian likes to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I didn't know that. Like, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, from there it all it all came in. And then the first thing I did was the Cyberforce line webtoons thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, for like Tom Ackle and Line, right? So yeah. I, I think that's either in print now or it's getting in print, but it's online. So I wrote 12 issues of that. That's right. I wasn't sure uh, where that uh, came from, if that was like an adaptation or something like that. Because, yeah, I read it on webtoon and I was like, why have I not seen this before? Yeah, that was me, man. I was in Thailand working on that um, that Muay Thai movie oh, when funny. I was writing a lot of stuff. I was going back and forth between Thailand and the States uh, working on that Muay Thai movie and working on that thing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, though, that was the first bit of it. And then from there, it all kind of blossomed into a thing. And then with Aphrodite 5, uh, Jeff Spokes was an artist that Matt had wanted to work with. Mm. And I just loved, like, the heavy metal nature of his art. It was so intense. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of my favorite movies is Domino. Uh, Domino is not a great movie, but I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I know it's not very good, but I love it. Um, it's, it's one of those movies. That's a movie that's a fun one to put on. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an ambient movie, you know, I just kind of put it on and I'm, I'm working and then I just see Karen Knightley in aviator sunglasses (laughs) and that makes me happy. And then I just keep going, going forward. Um, Yeah, so I, I, you know, I talked to Jeff like, well, I got this kind of RoboCop meets uh, Ghost in the Shell if Tony Scott produced it in like 1993. Mm-hmm. And Jeff had no idea what the hell I was talking about, but that sounded cool to him. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that story evolved out of that. Um, and so that's that four issue thing. It's just a four issue uh, story that I'm actually really fond of. I think there's some some good stuff in there. Hell yeah. Uh, uh, and then Cyberforce, 
you know, we talked about doing Cyberforce again and, and, and getting it going again. And I think with the anniversary and all of that, Matt wanted to reapproach it. And that's been more of a collaboration between me, Matt and Mark, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, trying to, you know, get all that stuff in there and, um, you know, can I update it while keeping, uh, the continuity of what's gone before and, and that, but that's ongoing. That's, that's going to kind of keep on trucking out there. But I think Aphrodite, there are two issues to come in the Aphrodite miniseries. But yeah, if you're listening to this, um, and, and thank you, if you're just listening to me bang on like this, uh, <laughs> go pick up that Aphrodite. Uh, cause I think it's, it's cool. If you like things like Robocop and ghost in the shell and character driven kinetic ballistic science fiction, yeah. Um, it's got a, you know, a, a green haired, uh, Olivia Wilde looking character, you know, full of righteous violence. That's worth the price of admission. I have to admit that's, that's one I haven't, uh, I haven't read yet. Cause I, I felt it's like one of those things where I'm like, okay, it's like the fifth mini series from Aphrodite. So I need to like go all the way back. Oh, I know there's so no. And, and yeah, you don't need to know anything about continuity. Um, it's not a story that's steeped in cyber force continuity. Mm. Every other character in the story is new except for Aphrodite. And all you have to know about Aphrodite is that she is a kind of a punk rock supermodel android uh, yeah. that is free from her masters and looking for a place to put her fist. All right. <laughs> I'm down. I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to check that out. That's in the great. PG-13 way. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Not the NC-17. <laughs> I figured that would be an interesting let, direction let for Top to take. Let me be clear. <laughs> Um, well, so we'll, we'll talk about, uh, Titans here and then, and then wrap it up with, uh, talking about American Carnage, obviously, cause that's, you know, the, the big Vertigo series you got coming out. Um, For sure. but, uh, with Titans, I, I, I know that Titans actually kind of happened before you were ever approached for DC comics work. Is that correct? Or is that not? Yeah, true? I think I was doing Michael Cray at the time. Mm. Um, but I wasn't doing DCU stuff yet. So TV is weird. <laughs> I slipped and fell into television. I, I, you know, I'd, I've, I've written pilots that I haven't sold before. And there was one show that I got very close with that I pitched like five, six years ago. And, uh, I, I learned enough from the process and got enough kind of attaboys to feel like, Oh yeah, I could do something in TV if I just get the right, you know, things line up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't really furiously pursuing it. I wasn't really furiously pursuing anything. Um, I was just kind of like, you know, figuring myself out. But uh, Mark Verheiden from Ash vs. Evil Dead, the showrunner of that uh, third season, the last season, uh, he came in to run the third season. I think he had bumped into my comic book work because Mark is a huge comic book fan. Uh, and you should actually get him on the podcast. Uh, I would love to talk if to you, If you can. Because um, he's a he's one of the best human beings I've ever met. Like oh, – yeah. um, he is largely responsible for uh, whatever I will do in Hollywood. <laughs> you got to trace that back to Mark for Hyden. I, I, so, I would love to talk to him. And I actually, I do have a question uh, upcoming that relates to, to Mark, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, right on. Um, so yeah. So like he'd read, I think the comic book or something and, and the postal got bought by the such and such to be a such and such, you know how it works with comics. Oh, of course. And uh, the, I don't think he realized I had written pilots mm-hmm. as well. So he found the pilot and read that, and he asked me if I wanted to come on and on work on Astro Evil Dead uh, season three, and I was like, sure. Um, <laughs> having no idea what I was doing, honestly, I um, had never been in a writer's room before, but I kind of faked my way through it. They used to call me the Pretender at NYU because I would just like <laughs> figure it out, like, oh yeah, I can do heart surgery. Let me just go to the bathroom and read this book. I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> um, 
so I kind of, you know, first week I was terrible, but then I got better and Mark was patient. So, you know, God bless that man. Yeah. Um, uh, and then after that wrapped up, I didn't like, I was like, I'm going to do another TV show. I didn't, no, I mean, uh, um, I was just like, all right, well, that was cool. Maybe that'll happen again. Who knows? Right. <laughs> then I got a, I got a call, uh, about Titans mm-hmm. and they're like, well, let's send the script over. So I sent the script over and I read it and I was like, oh, this is like Titans, Titans. <laughs> I didn't know what Titans was. I thought it was going to be like a space opera show about like, you know, mm-hmm. a crew of people and they have a giant ship and the ships are called Titans and there's <laughs> romance and politics or something. You know? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I assumed that was going to be right. You know, Titans sci-fi channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, right. And I was like, Oh, 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 Dick this Grayson, is what, you know? Yeah. Like you get a script with like a Kiwa Goldsman on the cover. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. That's real. <laughs> yeah. This is a real thing. That's Jeff Johns. That's mm-hmm. real. And I hadn't met Jeff yet because I just working on Michael Cray. Like there was no reason for Jeff to really meet with me. Of course. Um, but then I had a meeting with Jeff Johns and, uh, that was terrifying, <laughs> but sure. he's a very nice guy. And he made that easy for me. So thank you, Jeff Johns, if you're listening. <laughs> um, and then I met the showrunner, Greg Walker, who uh, wasn't a name that I knew mm-hmm. until I looked him up on the IMDb and I realized that I've been watching his stuff for years. I mean, he's worked in the X-Files and, you know, Without a Trace and uh, Extant, uh, the Halle Berry show. Yeah. And, and Greg is an amazing mind. Um, you know, the... The there there are people you meet in feature filmmaking who kind of get away with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you meet with them and you're like, mm, you must be somebody's cousin, <laughs> you know? I don't think you have the force. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't move that. You blew on that. Yeah. I saw you blow, right? Like it's <laughs> you know. But in TV, man, TV people are the real deal. Let me tell you, mm. like, do not sleep on television creators because they all know their stuff, man. They, they, they know the game and Greg is a formidable mind. Um, and a very nice man. Uh, and he taught me a lot over the course of Titans and Akiva was in the room a lot. Um, and that's a masterclass in, in everything. And Jeff was in the room and that's a masterclass in everything. Of course. So, uh, you know, that was the experience for me. It was surreal, man. I mean, I'm in that surreal part of your career <laughs> where like things are happening that you're just like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm standing next to somebody dressed up like Robin and he looks like Robin. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's that happening crazy. now. That is. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how that all came about. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I love the script. I like Jeff. I, I, you know, I like Akiva and I, I really responded to Greg. I'd met Greg for the first time. You know, I knew Akiva through his work. I hadn't met him, but I knew, knew the works with Greg. I liked his TV work a lot and I met him and was like, oh, this dude is amazing. Uh, I, I have to work for this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy's going to make me better. So uh, I wanted to do that. And then Jeff, you know, was just so like, just chill and was unassuming, man. Like you wouldn't know he was Jeff Johns. <laughs> you know, he's, he reminded me of dudes I used to play ball with back in high school, right? Um, so I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, this is cool. And then that I just decided to jump in uh, on that. That's amazing, man. How, in terms of like process and, and stuff on that, obviously, you know, you would kind of break out the the arcs of, you know, each episode and the season, obviously, in the room together. Um, but what what was the process of an episode like for you, especially for those who don't know much about the TV process? How How does that look and how long does that take? Well, you know, I've only worked on two shows, so I'm sure, um, you know, if you get like Amy Berg on here or like, you know, uh, 
uh, John Rogers, they'll have a much better answer than than I do. But um, you know, in in both scenarios, it was just a lot of kind of just improvisation. Like there, you know, we had a general kind of course of action for the season, and then we just started spit firing ideas and uh, and seeing what the room responded to. Mm-hmm. And trying to build on each other's ideas, like so, you know, someone would say a thing, and then that would make you think of a thing, and then you would chime in with a thing, and then somebody else would build on that. And in neither one of the situations, you know, were there arguments or acrimony, like none of that. Like it was all kind of put your hands up and say we. Um, and then good good producers and showrunners w- will come in, and you know, like Greg and, and Jeff and Akiva, they would kind of whittle down the stone into the statue, uh, which is what you need from a leader. Yeah. to you know let you play around a bit and discover some stuff and then they kind of come in and say okay i think this is kind of where you guys are going and this makes sense but we need to do like this and turn this around and and all that um and you, just, you know you you eventually the ideas turn into a, a a generalized story which then becomes individual scenes and story beats mm-hmm. uh and uh from there you know you start refining those beats and then episodes get assigned to people Hell yeah! And which, uh, as Titans obviously is getting getting close to premiering, um, are you allowed to say which uh, episode numbers uh, are are the ones that you're credited on? Oh man, you know the numbers. The numbers might have changed. Okay. Uh, um. Uh. So I, I know they've released the titles I, of each episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would think I would know this stuff off the top of my head. <laughs> it's all good. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to come up with it on the. Spot. I believe it's four. Okay. And six. All right. As I recall, because yeah, because because five was it was shooting, but I wasn't part of that one. And four and six were back to back. So I I think that's what you'll you know you'll know which one it is. It'll be well, the no. one that, that it's all like eighties <laughs> and dark and cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. For, so whatever one that you really liked, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. The best episode. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I did. The one the one y'all like a lot. That's me. I did that one. That's awesome. Um. So I'm I'm in this is the, I'm I'm doing a little bit of like conspiracy theory reading the tea leaves here, but uh, fo- follow along with me down this road a little bit. Uh, okay, on all right, Boulder, we are here. <laughs> on Ash vs. Evil Dead, you, as you mentioned, uh, you worked with Mark Verheiden, mm. right? And you've you've I did. become very close with him. Uh, yes. You also worked on Titans, which is a DC Universe original show. Uh, mm. You worked on, uh, or you, you've, you've, as mentioned in this interview, uh, Brian, as, as said by you, incriminated by yourself, uh, you are pretty close with Scott Snyder. You've talked to him about a lot of things, story things. Uh, Scott Snyder, who is a prominent it's Swamp true. Thing writer. Uh, you see oh, where I'm okay. going with this, probably. I see where you're going. I see where you're going with this. Are you, Brian Hill, in any way, maybe possibly going to be writing on this Swamp Thing TV show? <laughs> well, Okay. <laughs> The room for Swamp Thing got together while I was still on Titans. Oh. There was an overlap, right? And I, I, I really want to work with Mark again. Um, and yeah, I reached out for sure, but it just it wouldn't work because Titans. We were still working on Titans as the room was getting together, mm-hmm. so the the overlap just kind of kept me from being able to work on that show. Uh, but yeah, I was certainly would have given the opportunity because uh, Mark is such a great horror mind. Yeah. Um, and loves like the Bernie Wrightson, like you know, like he he's in there, man. He's in the pocket <laughs> on that stuff. So 
Uh, I'm sure it'll be brilliant, but yeah, and no, I didn't get a didn't get a chance to work on uh, uh, that one because schedules just wouldn't align uh, properly for that. I I know the feeling. That very same problem uh, kind of broke my heart recently with uh, with a certain DC Universe show, which is it was okay. It's okay. There's always more. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, man. We are in the age of of uh, of the comic book, so there's always going to be some some new thing on the way uh, to work on, but. Yeah, from what I understand, um, the Swamp Thing show is going to be amazing. I'm sure. Uh, Mark and, Mark uh, and James Wan and um, shoot, I can't right. remember the other co-runner on uh, on Swamp Thing, but yeah. And then the Doom Patrol show is going to be great too. So. That was that was uh, the one that broke my heart, Brian. Don't bring it up. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. I know, right? Like that's one of those things where, like, yeah. But hey, look, look, look at it this way: it'll be on for a while. I'm sure rotating chairs will happen, man. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's know. okay. And I mean, there's always there, there's plenty more coming, kind of down the pipe. So I'm not terribly worried. And obviously, working on a show that has a two season guarantee is never a bad thing. So I'm I'm okay where I'm at. But it's uh, it's okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, the the next thing, obviously, I want to talk about, as as we talked about before, uh, is American Carnage. It's your upcoming series from Vertigo. Uh, oh yeah. Tell the people who don't know what's what's kind of the pitch for for American Carnage. It's a pretty simple pitch. It's about a, an exiled FBI agent um, who's exiled for reasons that uh, we'll get in you know get into when you read the book. Who is half black but can pass for white. Um, kind of based on my grandmother who could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And he is asked by a friend who still works for the FBI to investigate the death of another FBI agent mm. that she believes was caused by a white supremacist movement in uh, California, specifically ordered by a man named Wynn Allen Morgan, who is a rising star uh, in kind of alternative politics, as mm. it were. I see. So the, the narrative is about him kind of going undercover into this movement but that's really just the arena. The story is really about identity and the seduction of power and uh, how people are uh, you know, brought into a thing and tainted by a thing, corrupted by a thing. Um, you know, it's kind of the, uh, the, the tale about trying to get next to the devil without letting the devil change you, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, you know, and, and it's crime drama. Honestly, more than anything else. I mean, it's set in a world that, unfortunately, is incredibly relevant. <laughs> yes. I was going to say. <laughs> I, I didn't want it to be that relevant, right? Uh-huh. Like, it, it all I, – I really – you know, working on Postal, so there's an issue of Postal that deals with a character named Rowan, mm. who is a former Aryan Brotherhood guy who mm. comes into Eden – and wants to redeem himself, yeah. and he has a relationship, uh, like a working relationship with this black uh, guy in town named Curtis. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole deal, right? And I, and, and I, I enjoy working on that. And, and I had personal experiences, and I get into this on my YouTube, The Hill Administration. Yeah. You know, about how I had a friend growing up that turned into a skinhead, and that bummed me out. And um, Yeah, and you talked I mean, about that on our uh, probably yeah. not as... <laughs> That's a light term for it. Severe word I should use. Yeah, you know, that was a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Good friend <laughs> of mine, white supremacist now. Oh, man, yeah. That that day sucked. No, but, um, yeah, so, like, it was that, and then there was uh, a Dylan Roof thing that, that went oh. down, and just seeing, like, contemporary images of things I've seen in newsreels, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, you grow up and you, and you, you know, you, you hear the stories from your family, um, as I did, you know, from my family, you know, I watched the documentaries, and, you know, you see that that 
you know, the, the stuff, like the classic stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know that racism is, is a thing, you know, among many other things that we've got. But it, it really felt like, oh, man, like this is this is coming back in like a cyclical way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be even uglier because unlike back in the 50s and the 60s uh, uh, where you had a kind of a, a dominant worldview that had a lot of acceptance for these ideas – now you will have a lot of resistance and that resistance is going to get worse. And then, it, you know, I can, I can see a powder cake kind of building mm-hmm. and started just doing some research because um, I didn't want to be scared of it. Uh, I don't like being scared of anything. So I, I uh, and don't do this. I tell everyone when I tell this story, disclaimer, do not do what I'm about to tell you I did. I did dangerous. it. It was likely stupid. So, you know, viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> so um, I started going to like Stormfront, Daily Stormer and places like that and uh, uh, going on the message boards, you know, and talking to people under an alias uh, to try to get a sense of why, you know, in, in 2016, 26, 2017, when I'm researching this stuff, mm. like, why? Why would you like now? Really? You know, yeah, um, of course. Uh, with all the evidence that we have to the contrary, we all know this is a this isn't helpful. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help America. It's not going to help the world. Um, and I would and you know I'd get like a little bit of information. I, I kind of pretended to be one of them. Unfortunately, I'm a very good white supremacist online. Uh, <laughs> You're a writer. I learned. Yeah, I'm a writer. Right. So you know. Ah. So so I mean I guess I'm like the. The the very macro sense, I I first had started going undercover a little bit, mm-hmm. but but then I uh, I reached out to friends of mine who are involved in kind of rehabilitation programs and that sort of business to see if they could put me in touch with actual people in the movement so I could be with them face to face. And uh, I I didn't want to do like a, a W Kamal belt thing you know like where i go there with cameras and 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 all that like not that i have anything wrong with the show but i wasn't trying to like set people up for a trap you know uh i really just wanted to talk to people and um so you know you start off by talking to people that were in and are now out but then they know people that are still in Mm -hmm. that would be willing to talk to you as long as you know you weren't trying to convert them or or something and 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 i went ahead and did a little bit of that um friends of mine that are in law enforcement would you know help out in terms of safety and yeah. security, uh, they'd be playing clothed in the in the area, you know, in case I needed uh, assistance or something. And I only really got threatened like one time, and it wasn't, I think, a legitimate threat. I think it was just a lot of bravado, so I didn't take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would sit down and talk to people. Mm-hmm. And what surprised me, man, was I I thought it was kind of like a unified thing, you know, like a. And I, I don't know. I don't know why naively I thought it was going to be like that. Mm-hmm. But then when I got in there, I saw there were all these little factions. You know, there was like, uh, you know, it wasn't really Proud Boys back then. I think McInnes' thing started later. Um, but there was something of like a, a, a dapper racist movement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're a little dapper about it, you know. Uh, yeah, they they got the shine box. You know, oh, they got a little man. pompadour. So you had some pompadour racists that were in there, and then you had like, you know. Your good old boss hog style, <laughs> you know, your classic style. Yeah, yeah. Racism. The, the original recipe. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you originally, exactly, <laughs> you had the, your, your, what was it, 11 herbs and spices? <laughs> there you go, yeah. So you, 
had that, and then and then you know, and then you had like the the more skin kind of violent oi yeah. sort of green room folks yeah. that I yeah. frankly didn't have a lot of exposure with. Yeah. Um, because that's when it tends to get uh, uh more dangerous. Yes. And then I I I I got secondhand information um about Aryan Brotherhood, but I never really met with anybody who was actively in that movement because those gentlemen are severe. Yeah, I'm um, sure. And I was I was told by many people that nah, you don't want to do that, man. Yeah, I, leave that alone. I'm glad you showed some restraint here, because I like I would be afraid uh, meeting these people, and I am as pasty as uh, the the paint on most oh, don't walls. Don't get me wrong; I, it wasn't like I wasn't afraid. I'm yeah. not Batman, right? <laughs> like I know what they're going to do. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, but I, what I didn't want to do was do a book that rendered people into cartoons. Mm. Because, you know, it's because I I honestly don't think the book is that controversial. Mm. I just think it's an interesting milieu to explore facets of American crime, facets of uh, political persuasion, yeah. movements, identity, um, you know, uh, the role of law enforcement mm -hmm. and whether or not they're justified in what they do to private citizens. Like, you know, it just seemed like a nice rich landscape in which to tell a story. I don't think it's particularly controversial unless you're an actual white supremacist, then you might not like it, but they tend not to read my work. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I don't think I have many fans over on that side. It's true. You know, I can't, I can't see so, a white supremacist loving, uh, the, the message of some of your work. Yeah. But what, what, yeah. Right. And, and, and what, what I thought was interesting was, uh, just how there were like factions within the factions. Yeah. Like, Oh, well these, you know, they're, they're, shaving the edges off the message because they want to be respectable, but they don't know what it's like to do it in the old school. <laughs> and this is what we like to do. And they're not carrying the ways of the whatever. And then, God. and then watching like the Richard Spencer types that are getting on YouTube and like smiling at you while they tell you that you're a mongrel, Ugh. um, you know, and all that. And I'm like, well, this is really interesting creatively, yeah. uh, to me. And, um, and power is an addiction. There's a movie I'm very fond of called narc. Mm. It's uh, written and directed by Joe Carnahan. I think it's 2002. And Joe knows how much of a fan of this movie I am because whenever I talk to him on Twitter, I'm having conversations about Narc. Uh, mm. I actually got to talk to Jason Patrick about it uh, a few months ago, and that was a great experience. Um, but, you know, that movie was a, it, it's a great exploration of what kind of shifting yourself into another self for righteous reasons can do. Mm -hmm. Um but I wanted to do something where instead of like the the drugs, right, um, or like the you know the sex or whatever it is that you can get kind of addicted to, I wanted to tell a story where a person might get addicted to the power of influence, mm -hmm. you know, and what you could do in that world. And and Richard, uh, the main guy, is a character that's never really felt wholly one thing or another thing. You know, he's never really felt like a black man in America. He's never really felt like a white man in America. And on top of all of that. He's had to pretend to be people, you know, in his career in the FBI for such a long time. So he's a brilliant actor, but I think he's got a hollow spot inside. And and when Morgan, the target of the investigation, who may or may not be guilty, we don't know. We have to watch the story play out, mm -hmm. uh, sees that hole inside of him and is like, I think I can fill that up with a thing. You know, not knowing who he is or where he comes from. He just kind of recognizes a need yeah. in a guy. Uh, and so those things are really interesting to me to kind of play itself out um, in in the narrative. Uh, I got I got someone on Twitter <laughs> who was like, "Well, this is an anti-white book." Oh boy! And I'm like, "Well, if you 
think a book about white supremacists is an anti-white book, you've got a very low opinion of white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That shouldn't be – it shouldn't can, be that controversial to be, like, anti-white supremacist. I will say with confidence that I believe most white people aren't white supremacists. <laughs> I think I can feel pretty good about saying that. You know, like yeah. – um, and, and I was like, well – uh, that's no that's not what it is i just think it's like like any like hbo style narrative fx style narrative yeah. we're plunging into a world that we haven't really seen explored and hopefully we're exploring it with depth and soul of course uh in a way that hasn't been done and i was joking with andy curry and mark doyle over at vertigo like i can write this book because people can look at my photograph and realize i don't believe some of the things in the book that i'm articulating so passionately <laughs> um uh, you know, only Nixon can go to China. That's fair. <laughs> so, so, you know, like, like, because uh, uh, they'll read a script and be like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, man, you know, I have to live and breathe through the characters. Um, <laughs> it is true. And, it's, yeah, uh, like yeah. I, so, someone like me definitely could not go around uh, really diving into some of those, some of those things because there would be a lot of questions uh, <laughs> raised about me. Wait, wait. That were the case. You, you could, but then, you, then like every tenth person would give you that funny look, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I prefer mm-hmm. my friends to be comfortable around me. I think is is the thing. You know, you, you know how people give Chuck Palahniuk that look sometimes. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I don't know exactly <laughs> where you coming from, homie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like some of this is a little bit look, too accurate. Look. You know, Joe Rogan gets that look sometimes, oh, like for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> For I sure. give you that look, man. So, so yeah, but um, I just, I, you know, when, when Vertigo reached out and asked me if uh, I had anything for the 25th anniversary thing, again, mm-hmm. I was, like, shocked that anyone would approach me about anything like this. Yeah, man. Um, and I'm like, well, I don't really have a magical realism book <laughs> uh, because that's what I associate with Vertigo a lot, yeah. right? The, the fantastic work of Neil Gaiman, uh, Alan Moore, yeah, and, and, and all that and, stuff, right? Yeah. But I was a 100 Bullets kid, and I was a scalped kid. Um, you know, Jason's work, Brian Azzarello's work, those mattered a lot to me as much as Sandman or death, uh, mattered to me. And, um, uh, I was like, well, I got this crime story I'm working on. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Um, I had, you know, I'd started kind of like working on, I guess a script, like a thing, but then I stopped. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I was like, well, I got this story. You're going to tell me no, <laughs> but I'll send it. And then I can come up with something. Like a joke on my YouTube, like a, a werewolf that travels to dimensions when he does yeah. cocaine or something. And we, we'll do that. <laughs> so, that, was, that made we'll me laugh this. out loud at work, by the way. I was listening I was listening to that video at work, just like, you know, putting up some invoices. And I was like, what the hell? That is such a good summation <laughs> yeah, of what a Vertigo book could be. Right? I was like, I'll do that one. But then they, <laughs> they were like, yeah, this is really cool. We want to do this. I'm like, are you sure? Because I'm going to use a whole lot of words <laughs> in this book. I'm just going to tell you, we're going to have a whole lot of words in this book. Because I heard a whole lot of words when I was talking to people. Sure, a lot man. of those words told to my face. Exer- exercising some demons. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm saying, you know, there's no know what you're getting into here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, they were totally cool with it and have been very supportive. Um, and they were giving away uh, hard copies of the first issue at San Diego Comic-Con. So a few people out there have read the first issue. And have been uh, really complimentary uh, about it, um, and so I'm I'm really excited to get it in the hands of people. I, I just think it's a it's a very cool, unique take on a crime drama. Um, 
And and in this case, I would urge people not to judge the book by the cover Mm. because there's a lot going on under the hood in American Carnage. Mm. And there's a lot of places it can go as well. I mean, I don't think, you know, if we were doing like a 100 Bullets style run, I'm not sure we would be in this world for the majority of the run. I mean, we might, you know, explore different things and characters could shift and change and we could get into different facets of stuff as well. I mean, this is kind of like season one of American Carnage. Uh, that's why I gave it a broader title um, oh, yeah. than, you know, uh, KKK Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would, uh, still would have been title. a good title, you know? I mean, I, I can see that flying off the shelves, but I, I think American Carnage, yeah, probably uh, a little better. Well, and it, and it, it, you know, that's, I think, how it distinguishes itself from works like Black Klansman or Incognito, um, mm-hmm. you know, which are good works. I'm not totally. I'm not selling the works at all. But this series, as it continues, uh, will always be about kind of the nooks and crannies of the things eating away uh, at America and um, how we can manage those things and what role justice plays in that stuff. Um, but much like Postal, uh, I would expect it to travel into uh, different places and interesting places and characters will greatly evolve and shift and transform over the course of it. And I'm eager for readers to take the ride with me as I'm writing it. Hell yeah. Brian, that, I mean, that, that is a, a hell of a pitch for that book. So I hope that everybody out there listening is, is running to their retailers right now to pre-order it. Um, and while you're there pre-ordering that, make sure you uh, pre-order Bat- or, yeah, Batman and the Outsiders. Uh, pick up uh, Cyber Force and pick up Aphrodite 5. Uh, pick up Michael Cray, obviously, which is coming to its uh, conclusion here pretty soon. Uh, obviously, and then go go watch Titans on DCU when it comes out very shortly um, in the next like couple months or so, whenever it is. Uh, Brian, this has been a lovely conversation, probably a two-parter, probably a double episode one, so I appreciate you uh, sticking hey in for the long mini series. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, but man, no, great to talk to you. Everybody listening, make sure you go follow him on Twitter. It's uh, at Brian Edward Hill. Um, Brian, do you have anything Brian with else? a Y. That's true. Brian with a because- Y. Why? Because we like you. Um, <laughs> no, that's just it. Like, yeah, just, you know, just follow me on Twitter at Brian Edward Hill and uh, be kind to each other out there. Hell yeah. We have to all be nicer. Let's be nicer from now on. Please. <laughs> that's what I want people to remember. <laughs> Please be nicer. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed your time in the Savage Land. Be cool.com. You never know.